right, so welcome to the Nurses in the No Show. I'm your co-host, Kristen, and this is... The other co-host, Hannah. And we would like to welcome you to the... Nurses, Nurses in the, the No Show! show. Hi guys, I'm Charles. They're gonna call me Charlie. It's gonna annoy me. But he low key loves it. And this is Charlie's web party. (laughs) (laughs) So, welcome to our first episode here on Nurses in the No Show. Charles is an actual good friend of ours um, who agreed to this interview. It's not because we couldn't get anybody else, but um, a little bit. You couldn't get anyone else? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably. No, no, no. Um, Charles has a really interesting backstory. So he is a nurse that has worked with us in the intensive care unit. He's actually someone I call a best friend that we've had some terrible times in the ICU together. But you have an interesting story when it comes to how you became a nurse. You want to fill us in? Sure. Um, Let's see. Started back when I was like 15. I decided I'd become an EMT because that was kind of cool. I wanted to drive an ambulance someday. So I went to EMT school. I lived in Ohio, where you actually had to be 18, but I found out that you could go to EMT school when you were 15 in Pennsylvania. So um, I did that and uh, decided that, well, being in EMS was kind of cool and all, but it's really not a way to make money. So being a firefighter, being an EMT, not not really a life for me. So I had a kid. And decided I'd go back to the school. Oh, so you weren't going for stay-at-home dad? <laughs> no. Dang it. <laughs> no, so, uh, spoiler alert, those people that say you can't go back to school once you have a kid, there's never a good time. I did it. So, I had a baby. I graduated. I think my daughter was like four. Uh, she got to come up and put the pin on me. Aww. That's so adorable. Yeah, my pin had Mickey Mouse on it. And then that's, uh, so you didn't start off in Florida? No, I was in Ohio. Okay. It was cold. So you ended up doing an EMS to RN program, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. Ish, uh, maybe. Ish. Yeah. You know? uh, all right. So what did you end up doing? Because you do not have a bachelor's degree as of yet. No, I do not. I will um, in December. Okay. So I have an associate's degree. So definitely going against what some people say of once you have kids, you can't go back to school because now you're doing it again. Yep, and when I get done with that, I'm lined up to get my master's. What? Well, look at you <laughs> go. Wow. Okay, stay yeah. at home, okay. Dad. Uh, Just kidding. <laughs> if I can figure out how to stay at home, I'll do that also. <laughs> yeah, you just let us know how to do that and we'll follow you. So how did you become a nurse since you said you kind of did the ENT firefighter thing and then... Yeah, so strange story. I actually wanted to be a salesman. I got sick of taking care of people. Um, didn't really want to become a nurse like you would traditionally think of being a nurse. So uh, it's probably not going to be any surprise that you're later going to hear I didn't stay in the ICU with these ladies very long because I, I became a nurse to get out of taking care of people, not take care of people forever. I wanted to be a salesperson, and I was in a job interview, and they're like, geez, if you were a nurse, we'd hire you. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back to school and do that. Wow. You know what? At least you're honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was that person in school that said, uh, everybody's like, why are you becoming a nurse? And they're like, oh, we want to save everybody. And I'm like, I just want to get a different job. I just want to make money. Yeah. And then you wanted to nursing to realize you didn't make that much money. No, no. But I mean, that, that's an excellent point that you bring up because I think some people, especially right now with this whole COVID, the pandemic layoffs, furloughs and such that... Um, I think we're going to see a lot more people going into medicine just because we didn't we didn't really see that. I mean, some places did see furloughs, especially in the Central Florida area. But for the most part, I mean, that's what people say about medicine. It's recession proof. Yeah. So Pan- there are some people proof? like, uh, eh? maybe not. <laughs> Depends on what your background is. Ish. <laughs> Great. So you have, what degree do you currently hold? So I have an associate's in nursing. Okay. Yeah. And before that, my degree was in fire science. Mm. That was a firefighter. Okay. Pyromaniac. Yeah. Uh, more yeah. like chemistry, how fire worked, how you investigate it, things like that. Okay. Whatever you say to make yourself yeah, sleep Yeah. I sleep better knowing that uh, I understand how fire works. So I'm the type of guy that can light the fire and but you didn't it. start the fire. You'll never figure out his name. 
Uh, Side note, no fires recently <laughs> in the Central Florida area. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the ASN versus BSN. You're getting your BSN now. You're, you're, are you doing an ASN to BSN program or yeah, RN to BSN? BSN. I, I'm doing, it's it's the AS, it's a, they're, they're really the same thing, ASN to BSN, RN to BSN. Uh, I, I'm actually graduating from the school I started at, but, hey. but I didn't uh, go back there. I went to a different school because I heard it was easier, but uh, I didn't like it. So I went back to where I graduated from. Okay, and so that program is an online program, I'm assuming. Yep, sure. Okay, so let's, let's talk about um, ASN versus BSN. And initially, how come you didn't go and ascertain that bachelor's degree right off the bat? Yeah, uh, time. Um, like I said, I had a brand new kid at home, and my wife was in school with me. Uh, she was quitting her job to move to Florida as well. We both decided we wanted a fresh start. And I don't think either one of us planned on having a midlife crisis in our uh, 20s, early 30s. So we just decided what is the quickest way to get a different degree to make us more marketable. So an associate's was enough to make myself marketable to do the job. So I thought I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Uh huh. So in hindsight, though, would you still take the same path? Yeah, I think with today's uh, market, the way it works, uh, at least in Florida, I was able to get the job. And even if going into the, the market we're in in Central Florida, you can get hired as an associate. And, and where we work, the facility we work at, it's only like a dollar an hour difference. And they gave me EMS experience pay. So I don't think it was that big of a, a deal to wait. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like they beat it into our head in nursing school. And I was in my bachelor's at least, like... You have to do your BSN because you're never going to find a job if you do your ASN first, which it seems like a load of bull. Yeah, a load of bull. Now, we know that that's changing, though. We know that pretty Of course, soon, of course, uh, with well, magnet certifications. They, and... they said that 10 years ago, too, and they've been saying that forever. So, But our hospital is magnet now, so, hey, you know. But hey, they're hiring LPNs, I hear, so... <laughs> and I think that's in response to what's been going on with this pandemic, too. Sure. I mean, you have to be flexible in medicine. And, and back to what you were saying, for the last 10 years, they've been telling us, hey, you know, they're going to start phasing out ASN programs. But the reality is we can't turn out enough nurses to help cover and take care of these people. Sure. Bedside and non-bedside. So let's talk some stats. I mean, everybody, that's a great debate. Is ASN better? Is BSN better? It seems like, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, BSN better is eventually better, but it's also not. Like, you can get a job in your ASN. According to AACN's latest survey in the employment of new nurse graduates, it shows that 46% of their employers require new hires to have a bachelor's. 88% may strongly prefer bachelor-prepared nurses, but that's still 54% of nurses or, or employers that don't require you to have a bachelor's degree. That's, that's half the market, over half the market. Right, but then in the same token, we see that a lot of these hospitals are striving for this magnet status. And with that being said, what is it, like 80% of their staff has to have a bachelor's degree or be pursuing a bachelor's degree within two years of hiring? So that does put a lot of pressure on people to ascertain that next level of education. Of course. And since our facility recently became magnet certified. That's how we're, yeah. Did, did you feel kind of pressure from your overhead to, to go and get your BSN? So in my current role, um, it's kind of unique because my current role is very hard to become in my current role with an associate's degree. I probably would have never been hired if I wasn't in, in the works of an almost done with my job. So, so yes, I, I think it's special that I got the job I did if it wasn't for my experience and, and what, you know, the, I guess the eagerness and how well I interviewed or whatnot. But, yeah, yeah, it, it was hard to get the job, and I don't know of anybody else with an associate's degree doing my current job. So, yeah, that, that's definitely true. But 
I also believe that Magnet wants to see that nurses are trying to improve mm -hmm. and they have a plan in place. And I do know now that you can get a master's degree and skip the BSN. You can go straight from associates straight to a master's. Yeah, do so like an RN, RN to MSN so program. Is it necessary? I don't know. I think as long as you're working towards it and that you're never stop learning. And that was the same for EMS. You never stop learning as a nurse. So it's the people that get their BSN that sit there and do nothing that are just as guilty as those with an associates and never want to grow. So Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great point because, I mean, like you were talking, it's about a dollar difference. They gave you your experience pay added to it, but at the end of the day, it's just a, a degree. But what you're putting into your career is what you're going to get out in the end. For and sure. I think that's a huge point that people miss, that they're just so worried about getting to this next box and checking it off that they miss the in-between. I mean, life happens in our employers and people that are looking at us to employ. They're very understanding of that. So I think it's those other skills and qualities that you obtain that help you as well. And my, my current job is salary, and I don't even know if I'll get a raise when I get my degree or when I get an advanced degree. I don't know if there'll be a raise there. So oh, wow. I'm doing this now to show my daughter that you start something, you finish it. So that's why I'm not quitting, and that's why I'm going to keep going. So That's, that's commendable of you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, but let's talk pay, because on a real one, everybody wants to know, is ASN versus BSN really better? So, according to some of our research, and we'll link all of this in our description for each podcast, anything that we cite, we'll, we'll link it down below, so you know and we're not just making stuff up. According to Payscale, the average salary for an ASN ADN nurse is about 69000 a year, while a BSN may be as high high as 84,000. That's not remember now that's not the average. Right. So, is it better? It depends. It depends. Were you an e, an EMS before? LPN. Were you an LPN before? Did right. you have experience as a, a nurse tech or a CNA before? Or a medical assistant. All of those things kind of contribute into your pay scale that that the HR does defines as their algorithm of the magic number that they're going to pay you. Right. And another thing to look at is um, the job market. So if you do a quick search on Indeed or Google Jobs, you'll see that in their preferred and required sections in the listings of these jobs, um, when they list for a BSN, they'll list for two years experience. With the ASN, they're listing up to five years. Absolutely. So they are distinguishing a difference in this degree and I mean, I don't know if you guys are currently looking for jobs or in the job market, but a lot of the times you're dealing with recruiters and they're looking to see if you check boxes off of your resume. And it doesn't matter if you've had that experience, it's boxes that you check. And you know, later on um, in this series of podcasts, we'll go over resumes and talking about making yourself marketable. But today we really wanted to focus on that difference between is a bachelor's degree really better? And it's kind of hard because everybody's in different places and you know what we're being told and what's being pushed out by AACN and a lot of the universities is that hey getting that bachelor's degree right off the bat is where it's at for sure for sure so we talked a little bit about your kind of education we haven't really dived into too much about what you do now we talked about how you used to work icu before I think you worked on a unit, a different unit before you were in the ICU, right? Yeah, neuromedical. That's where I got my start. Neuromedical, downtown Orlando, on the stroke unit. It's pretty great. I don't think I knew either one of you then. No, nope. Thank uh, God. Yeah. No, no desire for neuro. <laughs> yeah. Well, a... I mean, don't say no desire. Don't, don't cut yourself <laughs> short. You never know what, um, what yeah. the opportunities. No, I ran. I, I ran from neuromedical. I could have went back. I had some opportunities to go back, but I ran not only to get closer to home because it, that was my main reason. It was a great team. You have to have a great team to work neuromedical. Um, I loved working with the seizure patients, the the NPH patients, the surgical ish patients, but those patients unfortunately um they're hard to take care of they they aren't normal in the brain and they're they're a difficult crew they don't like to stay in bed they're jumping you have five patients it, it was tough so without the good team it would be tough but uh, us yep. how, how long were you there for because i kind of came at the tail end of your uh, career a couple years i guess huh i'd say yeah, yeah a couple maybe. years yeah love it hate it what made you leave he loved it it was great no it was good um what made me leave uh, Interesting. Your last shift? No, it was time. 
it was time to go. I think when I left, it was that was part of my plan to get out of bedside. Like I never meant to stay there. I never remember back when I never meant to be a nurse. So I it kind of stuck with me though. So yeah, I, when I was in nursing school, it kind of grew on me. I had one teacher. She was great, and she's like, "No, you're gonna like this, and you're gonna do it." And she got me for almost three years. And, and then I realized that I didn't have to do this anymore. I didn't have to push my back. I didn't have to bust my butt as hard as I was doing. And when the opportunity came to get out of bedside, I took it. So that's what okay. did it. So. And that's, that's a good point that you made there. Like, you don't have to push your back. So to put it in perspective, I'm 5'3", and Charles is not. <laughs> um, and anytime I had a difficult situation, either combative or just a large body habitus. That's my new word that I like to use. Um, Charles was my go-to guy. That, and we pretty much worked the same shift. Yeah. And he was like um, my best friend at work until he decided to leave. But everybody used you for that, like, pretty yeah, it's, much. It's not fair to do that to your guys. I know, I mean, the guys don't mind, but it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, They'll never is. tell you that because they're there for you, but, but you, you even in neuro, the, it was like that. The heavier, like, yeah. patient load. It's not right. necessarily, like, like, pound-wise, but... Let's find the Mercs on the floor and right. let them get no, them in here. That was probably more true in neuro. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in the ICU, I enjoyed having the sicker patients, so if... But if that's what you meant by heavier there, I like that. But the 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 ones in neuro that were like really hard to take care of because they kept jumping out of bed and they needed someone to literally hold them down or, or whatnot, it, that that burnt me out really fast. So in the bigger they were in the ICU, it seemed like the ones that couldn't do anything for themselves at all. Totals. Those ones, those yeah. ones burnt you out. So, yeah, and sure. we got those a lot. For sure. So. We've kind of hinted at, at you leaving bedside, but we haven't actually gone right out and say it. After you left the ICU, where did you go? I went to case management, uh, care management, some people call it. Um, but actually, strangely enough, in the ICU, never actually left the unit, just got an office there. So, same unit. What made you do case management? Um, just care. just moving on. It was, of course, a pay raise. Any Anytime you... Um, take a I guess it would be like a promotion anytime you grow you should get more money and they didn't want to give it to me at first but I asked for it and I got it and it was moving up um, you know I got that extra skill set and it was growth so I learned more got more money and got got my back some rest so it was great all right so let's talk about this case management lifestyle because it was different I mean in recalling you were no longer 312s yeah no, it was, it was uh, eight-hour shifts. It was wild. That's an adjustment. When I was working fire and EMS, it was 24-hour shifts. Ugh. And then I went to 12s, and now here I am doing eights. I swore I'd never do it again. But here you are. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was the typical, like, what did you do as case management? <clears throat> so I don't want you to think of it as a normal case manager because there's case managers in the hospital that do things that, that was totally different than what happens in the ICU for a nurse. For, uh, keyword, for a nurse. For a nurse, right. Right, so we're not talking social workers. Yeah. We're talking about nurses that want to get away from bedside. Yeah, that's right. So the, the care model that our particular hospital chose is a nurse expediter. So we, our job is to move the patient to the next level of care as, as fast as possible and as appropriate as possible. So... What we do basically is in the ICU setting is the, the question is why is the patient's head in the bed and what can we do to make that move along? So is a test uh, getting missed? Is an MRI not happening for a reason that we can help expedite? Did a doctor maybe forget to sign an order or did the doctor forget something? And we can recommend that. So um, I had a project going with um, insulin. So a patient would get readmitted because they couldn't afford insulin. Mm. So they didn't have insurance, so why were we ordering insulin that was going to cost them $1,000? And we would help them get that, and then next month they would come right back in DKA. So when we could send them to Walmart and get them on insulin, that was maybe $50 a month that they could afford. So that was like one of my little projects that I wish I could have done more with. Um, things, things along those lines, like what can we do to get a patient to move along and to keep them out of the hospital? I would round uh, four plus hours a day with the physician and, and make recommendations and help get the patient moving along. So 
a be a liaison between the nurse, the doctor, the family, things like that, and help just expedite things. So expedite, that's the key word for your position. Right. Is it safe to say um, we're seeing this trend that's emerging in the, the nursing of expediters and navigators? Yeah, of course. I, I think that's safe to say uh, because the patients don't want to be in the hospital any longer than they have to be, and the hospital doesn't want them there any longer because the probably the more of the practice of bundling and getting paid for a diagnosis and so much. You're, if you come in for CHF, the hospital gets paid so much for CHF, and if you're there 10 extra days because we couldn't get you out of there or help you do something, we don't get paid for that. Right, length of stay. Yeah, so if I could reduce the length of stay, which we had an excellent length of stay in our hospital, so if we could lower that by three days, the amount of money the hospital saved was great, and you were happy because you left. So happy happy customer in a happy hospital. So. so let's talk about pros and cons of your nurse side of case management. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what are some, like, it, they don't have to necessarily be career-based, but it could be off of your lifestyle. Like, if you were talking to someone who was generally interested in, you know, something besides bedside and wanting to further investigate case management, what would you tell them the pros and cons are? Yeah, so the pros are obviously, anytime you, you move around, you move up, not around, but move up, there's more money, so... Um, the schedule might be easier for some people, so that could be a pro or a con. For me at the time, when I moved, I think I made it better because my daughter was in school and I was able to spend, I think, more time with her. I took her to school and I picked her up. So that was a good thing, I think. Rather than going to Disney alone, I was able to spend more time with my daughter. So um, the, the other pros are growth. I was spending more time with with I would say the right people. The physicians got a closer bond with more physicians. Uh, the management, things like that, got some exposure. If you're looking for growth in your, in your hospital, uh, the, the leadership sees that you're doing good things and that you're expediting lowering length of stay. They know what that is. The, you, you mentioned the word length of stay to the right people and they're monitoring that, so, so that's good. The cons are the things that nurses hate. Uh, someone coming by telling you, hey, we got to improve length of stay. <laughs> Nurses don't care about length of stay. Doctors don't care about length of stay. No one cares about that, probably, but the leadership and the case manager. Um, having to tell a patient's family that, you know, you have to decide today, are you going to do hospice or not? Things like that, those difficult decisions, those conversations we had to, to talk about. But on the other hand, I would have those dis discussions with people when they kind of stalled out where we could talk about what is the next level for your, your loved one? What did they want? And that, that really was not the expediter's role, but in my own way, I made it my role. And I could coordinate those and have those discussions that, that maybe the doctor was kind of struggling with. And, and I think I did really good with those. And, and, and I was very happy when a family had some closure because of that. So it was good um, when you could find help them find a little bit of peace in a terrible thing. Because in the ICU, we had a lot of people that, you know, you know, it wasn't ending well. And nobody could seem to get that together because maybe today you had a, do a doctor who didn't care because tomorrow there was a different doctor and the next day there was a different doctor and the next day there was a different doctor, so. What other, were there any other like kind of particular roles that you played as a nurse case manager um, throughout the process? What, what were some other things that you did in that? Uh, just mainly building those relationships. And okay. In, in knowing how to get people things when they needed them. Sometimes uh, a person needed uh, a certain type of ventilator to help them get out of the hospital and they had no insurance. And rather than saying, sorry, I don't know what to do with you, I would have a rapport built with a, a company and be able to call them and say, can you help my, you know, my patient out? And they would come through with one. So in, in a way being able to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say uh, negotiate, but you know, get get one patient this because you were able to get them some business before and and whatnot. So you just kind of play your cards right and line things up to to see a happy ending. So safe to say you're the go-to guy. Yeah, almost like the the dealer of the right. cards. Yeah, so. <laughs> the case management dealer. Let me yeah. go talk to my dealer about the right hospice for your family. 
I'll get you a deal. I got that DM on, yeah. on speed dial. <laughs> I know a guy, you know. Exactly. I might know a guy. My mom would call me and say, this is really expensive. Hang on, mom, I know a guy. Oh, jeez, jeez. So your sales uh, wishes kind of came through yeah. in this. Except I'm on the other side of it, you know. So if I was a nurse and I wanted to go into case management and I had this strong desire, mind you, I don't, um, but there are nurses out there that are interested in this aspect of nursing. What would you recommend to them? What is something that can kind of set them aside, make them more marketable as a bedside nurse for prospective case management RNs? First of all, I just want to be completely clear. I always said that if they moved me to a different unit than the ICU, I would be totally miserable because the work that happens on any other unit is different than the ICU. So I don't want to give you the wrong impression that it's great because on the other unit, they're doing a lot of social worker work. Okay. So, you know, I was happy because I knew the staff, I knew the doctors, I knew everybody. So I kind of like hit it off perfect. So... I don't want you to think that it's like <laughs> rainbows and unicorns in all of the case management world, but we all do the same thing. We, you know, we'd start the day and we'd review all of our patients. Why are they here? That was our job. And if they weren't supposed to be there anymore, our job was to get them out of the hospital. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to get into that job, the first thing you need to do is understand why is your patient in the hospital? So if you were ever sitting, taking care of a patient and the doctor came up to you and said, why is this patient here? And you said, I don't know and you didn't do anything about it, you probably couldn't be a case manager nurse. So okay. if that's ever happened to you, and I know it's happened to me before, and I'm like, you know, I don't know. That's a good question, doc. Well, if you didn't make that call and say, doc, come discharge my patient, then then you probably aren't cut out for it because if that repetitively happens, that, that was my job. I would be the one to call the doc and say, doc, I can't figure out why your patient is here. I would have to go to meetings three times a week and say, this patient's here, and this is why. I would have to justify it to leadership in the hospital this is why this patient is here. So you have to get familiar with the staff in your hospital, with the physicians in your hospital, and you have to have that relationship to have those uncomfortable conversations. You know, doctor such and such, this patient shouldn't be here anymore. We can't keep them here just because you want to wait for a blood test. We can do that at home. So if you don't have thick skin, if you can't take no or have those discussions, it's not for you. So um, other than that, just build the relationships and... That's my Are best there advice. any like um, case management like certifications or anything there like is. that for nursing? There is. And um, I was in case management about a year and a half. And to become a certified case manager, you have to be a year under somebody who's certified. So unfortunately, in our hospital, there was no one there already. So to be certified with somebody that's not certified under above you, you have to be there two years. So, oh, so you just barely made yeah. the cutoff. So, so you have to be there, in, in my situation, two years. So, And then there's a test, just like any other certification. I don't imagine it's as hard as the other tests, but I honestly don't know. I've never taken it. I don't. Okay. I can't answer that. And there's like three different ones. So maybe the certification in case management is easier than the... Uh, there's like CCM and CCIM and okay so, we'll have to do some more research yeah. and we'll, we'll link that down below for any of you guys out there interested in case management but they all take experience minimum of one year but most are two years unless you've been mentored so, I mean that seems to be the cert the norm for most certification exams and that's what I was gonna say um, and then brings me to the next point so you see that there's a lot of case management because again I'm over here stalking the job posts everywhere mm. and part of my opposition research on you <laughs> was to kind of look into different case management roles and jobs and that's how I got familiar with kind of the nurse navigator roles but also case management remotely you're seeing a lot yeah. of that pop up for insurance agencies some facilities but do you have any insight on that yeah so I actually looked into one of those jobs one time it was like a work from home because I'm like geez I can work from home and make more money right right that might be for me it was a major insurance company I don't remember which one I actually had an interview um, so that it seems really cool your job is it's almost like utilization management case management mixture it was in a, a Medicare uh, plan where they you have a set amount, maybe 100 patients, and your job is to keep basically keep them out of the hospital. At the end of the day, it's very similar to being in the hospital. You want to keep your patient out of the hospital and keep the amount of money that they're spending down. 
So, so you said utilization management. What's the difference? So utilization, we work we work hand in hand with them in the hospital. Um, they would be the ones that basically would decide. Um, <clears throat> so the physician, they they'd be the ones that would get it ready for billing. Okay. So. The, is the physician putting the right things in their notes? Or are they ICD doing... ICD coding. Okay, yeah, I got things you. like that to get it ready for the billing people. So if do they need to be in the hospital? Are they appropriate for the hospital setting? Things like that. Okay. So in the, in the outpatient setting and mainly in the insurance companies is probably where you're seeing most of those postings. Mm-hmm. Those people um, will be the ones that say basically, we're not going to pay for this patient to be in your hospital. Get them out. Okay. So, and the case managers in the hospital and the utilization managers in the hospital, they have to know what's going on and, and what's acceptable because if the patient's not going to be covered, we kind of have to have an idea of that so we can tell the doctor, get them out of here. They're no longer acceptable right? because we're not going to get paid. Okay. So it's a different side of, of medicine, kind of what you're talking about. You're talking about kind of the underbelly. Yeah. I mean, opposite of bedside, like you said before, nurses really don't care. Doctors don't really care, but... At the end of the day, that's what's driving medicine. Link the stays and reimbursement. And as sad as it is to say, it's the truth. Yeah. Especially if all these positions are designed specific just to answer that void or niche that has like evolved. I think that says a lot. And we didn't even we didn't even touch on the regulatory side where the Medicare uh, requirements that have all been dumped on case management. This paper needs to be signed within 24 hours. This paper needs to be signed within 48 hours. Run in there and get a signature. Oh, by the way, there's COVID. Don't let them touch your pen or your paper. (laughs) Uh, Oh, they're intubated in the ICU. You still need to get a signature. Good luck with that. Oh, no, it's okay. You can call and get someone's, uh, you know, oh, you can't get a hold of anyone. Hire a private investigator. Figure this out. Like, these were typical days in the ICU. You've had some some of those... I mean, they're not cool for the patients, but kind of a cool, like, sometimes you're an FBI. No, this was cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they were all nurses or whatever. Like, this It was absolutely cool. You get, like, a John Doe come in and yeah. everybody, all you have is a cell phone and here you are, Mr. FBI, trying to figure out who this guy or A locked or cell phone. We get a, we get a proxy. If we needed to make a medical decision, we'd hire a proxy, a social worker proxy, and we'd hire a private investigator and maybe the one was in Venezuela or wherever and we'd find family and maybe the family would want to do something. Maybe they'd say, forget it. And the court would have to make decisions. It was great. Those were good days. Mm, general hospital. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an episode of uh, one of those typical, oh. it's like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Looking for where's Waldo. <laughs> oh, geez. So ultimately... You kind of ended up leaving case management. Yeah. Why? Yeah, so... Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. This but... is like a saga, isn't it? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. interestingly enough. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think when I, I actually got sick about a year ago, you guys are both aware... Decided I wanted to come to work on my days off. Took some extra vacation days. Hung out in the ICU for a couple weeks. Uh, I think you both visited. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. She was working there. <laughs> I was working the I day you just, almost uh, got too. Yeah. <laughs> hung out on a BiPAP. Um, so it was fun. <laughs> and uh, I got a nasty virus. Not COVID. It was before COVID. Everybody always asks, was that COVID? No. And dude... I think it if was it, COVID. If it quacks like a jug. I think it was like, like COVID of 2019. We can call it that, right? I mean, like isn't it? It was COVID-19 literally. COVID-19 yeah. of 2019? Is that Maybe what Maybe you was? ought to go donate some plasma and get yeah. your antibodies checked. So, <laughs> you can... I have had my, uh, you know, I get blood and they check your antibodies, so for the record. Negative? Yeah. Dang. So, anyway. Okay. Anyways. Side note. So, uh, I'm my friend Luz, I actually met her there. She came in and she was, you know, the hospital sent her to investigate where, you know, did I pick this up at work, this virus? And right. They want to know if they've got to reimburse you. CYA or, or, you know, are they going to pay me? Whatever. So I'm, I'm sure. Or to see if I spread it or whatever. So, um, and, and I got really interested in this, this whole, you know, the spread of disease and, patient safety and infectious uh, prevention. So 
and that kind of stuck with me and the more I read about it and and whatnot I so I, I applied for that job and I was lucky to get it okay so when you say that job yeah the infection preventionist job uh-huh so you went from EMS <laughs> To narrow with some cray crays, uh-huh. to ICU with even more cray crays. Us included. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nursing and patients. Oh, God, you have no idea about the patient. Okay, you were there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Extubate the patient, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Last shift. That's why he doesn't do bedside anymore, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But you've kind of had a, an interesting story to get to where you're at now with the infection prevention. Yeah, but I'm home now. I'm good. So we're not going to go deep dive too much into infection prevention, but this is a little spoiler for our next episode where we actually invite Luz, who's an infection preventionist. So if you're interested in infection prevention, you want to hear our next episode, tune in. We'll talk all about the the ins and outs of infection prevention. And if you're a nurse and you want to get into it. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about some hot topics like COVID-19. So, Charles, you kind of drove us through your whole nursing career up to now. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you like, liked it or not. <laughs> Our first victim. Uh, do you have any big projects, any side hustles you're working on right now? So, big projects. Uh, I'm actually doing my capstone project. Oh, cool. For your BSN? Yeah. Um, what are you doing your capstone? Yeah, is acting all surprised, but she helped me with uh, the, some of the writing of it. So I'll act surprised. <laughs> what capstone project? Yeah. It's on um, preventing surgical site infections with uh, CHG postoperatively. Postoperatively? So, yes. Very interesting. It is very interesting. Not much uh, research on that. Did you know that? Are you making fun of me? <laughs> no. From my background okay. in surgery, there isn't. For the skip protocols and yeah. um, ERAS and everything. So if you're looking for something to do research on, I recommend it because there's nothing out there. I'm eh? gonna, someday my master's will involve this, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. And I'll yeah. be invited for that one, too. Yeah. So this brings us to, I think, our sponsor. Oh, the side hustle. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your wife's side side hustle and, yeah. and plug us our discount code? Yeah, so let me tell you about the, the side hustle. So my wife, um, you know, being an infection preventionist, we started talking about we might need some masks because as the, most of the country knows, we didn't know if we were going to have any masks because they were gone. So my wife had a sewing machine. We actually got one for Christmas from my mom. She got my wife, my daughter, and me a sewing machine. None of us really sewed. It was pretty uh, unfortunate. We're like, what are we going to do with the sewing machine? Mm. So mm-hmm. Desk ornament. Terrible. So my wife started sewing some masks to send to the hospital. We never needed them. She actually sewed, I don't know, a couple hundred of them. And they donated them to the people that work there to give to their families and whatever when they go to the grocery store. But then it came, became very real when we had to tell the people that worked there they couldn't cover their hair in the uh, COVID unit because we didn't have enough caps for them because the OR covers were gone. We're still, we still have a back order of them. Mm-hmm. If you're wearing them, I don't know where you're getting them. <laughs> I <laughs> So I had my wife. If you know a guy, <laughs> my wife started making up. those out of fabric, and then we couldn't find fabric. So I actually went and got a fabric license. So uh, we're sitting here recording this in my living room around a couple thousand yards of fabric. Um, so I got a fabric license, and I started figuring out a way we could sell fabric and sell these caps because my wife's first fabric bill came in, and it was like $3,000. And I'm like, okay, this is out of hand very fast, so you have to sell some of these. So Because the caps on Etsy were like $30, uh, we figured out a way we could sell them for, at the time, we were selling them for like $7. So Now the prices had to go up because we figured out we were actually losing money, but... <laughs> when that happens they're they're around $11 for a surgical cap they're fabric they're really nice Um, up to $20 if you want a really fancy Star Wars one but um, we're giving these ladies some to give away they're going to give some away and um, hey yeah you are the guy that'll hook (laughs) us up and uh, there's a discount code, which they're going to... I think it's going to be, if you search his uh, Etsy shop, we'll link it down below. It's going to be Nurses No then, Show. Yeah. You put it in the link below, and that'll get you 10% off, right? Is that yeah, what we agreed that's upon? that's it, right. And her shop is Irish Dancer Mama, M-O-M-M-A. 
and it'll be down below too. They'll they'll put the the details there. We'll put the deets in the description. Right, yeah. <laughs> deets in the description. You try not to be dirty with that one. <laughs> Oops. So she's she sold like twelve hundred orders of these, and she just started um, in July or June, whenever this all started picking up. So it's it's gone crazy. She sews every night. When they're done recording this, she's gonna start sewing. She's waiting for them to leave. Yes, the sweatshop will open up once we're gone. Yeah. But uh, for real, their caps are really nice. It's good quality. Their seams, I mean, you guys know and see, especially if you're out there and you're on COVID units, people donate stuff, and it's nice. Grandma did that. That's really sweet. And then you spend $25 and get one, and then you get it home. You've worn it a couple times, and it's falling apart. They don't have an issue with that quality, and they also have buttons on the side to give you ears. If you request them. If you request them. <laughs> Arrest. Oh, God. Please request the buttons if you want them. <laughs> His wife loves sewing I, buttons I on love the, the buttons. Cats. The buttons They're really are my favorite cute. part. They say, like, made with love. Yeah, handmade, handmade with, love. with love. Yeah, they They're are. adorable. But most of her caps are reversible, too, right? Yeah, they, they most of them are. And if you see one and you want something different, just ask. Uh, pick two fabrics, and she'll make you one. They're adorable. I have a Baby Yoda one and Disney, and I wish I could wear it every day, but COVID. And I'm working on um, some seahorses <laughs> and some puppies. Oh, my gosh, they have the cutest patriotic puppies. I don't know if you're a dog lover out there. I am, and it's absolutely adorable. It's flannel, Kristen. You can't make a cap out of that. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to have... It, so make sure to use our discount code on their Etsy shop. We really appreciate it. Kill we're also, <laughs> also going to do a giveaway here soon and collab with them. We, we really appreciate Charles and his family. Absolutely, because, you know, we're having fun here <laughs> for Charlie's web party. <laughs> So this is a question. <laughs> this is the segment of the show that we like to call the three R's and keep the R's politically correct, please. Yes. So. Your regrets, redos and rewards from your career. Yeah. So my regrets um, for all of you that are doing the EMS route or waiting to go to school, don't wait. Um, don't. I told Kristen, she had a friend that was like a, doing the firefighter thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't waste your time with that, honestly. <laughs> She did. He did. Uh, yeah. If you if you've got a good career, firefighter job, stick with that. But um, it's only for twenty years, and then you need a job. So get get a nursing license. If you're messing around with a paramedic license and not sure what to do, just become a nurse. A 12, 12 month transition is great. Um, don't don't wait. Yeah, and in some of my research, I was seeing the average is 12 to 16 months, which is even faster than if you were getting an associate's degree in nursing. Yeah. That's like a paramedic right. RN program, yeah. right? Yeah, and I was noticing, too, some trends out there, um, and from some of the blog stuff that I was reading, quick little side note, interrupting your three R's, is a lot of people can't get into the associate degree programs and bachelor's degrees, so they're, they're having... competitive. Yeah, they're having to sit on wait lists, and some of those are a year long, so some people are doing the uh, like EMS, EMT paramedic, to our end because it's faster so some people you know you could yeah. be doing it and working absolutely and then if you ever want to be like a transport nurse or flight nurse it really helps to have those licenses absolutely it's well. true that, and that's that's a little teaser for maybe a later show <laughs> anyways we did our first are you did the regrets now you're on redos redos huh a do-over yeah oh. It could be something good, like something that was like so awesome you wish you'd kept doing it. Yeah. I mean, and it was your time at ICU with me, honestly, right? Honestly, no. If I had a do-over, it'd be to go back and work in the ICU some, but Aww. unfortunately, my current job is salary, so I can't go do that and get paid for it, and I don't like them that much, so that would be my redo, though, is to go, go hang out in the ICU. My greatest reward is um, I had a patient that was really sick, and um, uh, the family probably should have... Um, Helped her stop suffering, but she somehow pulled through with a lot of prayer. And I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, and there was nothing else that could have explained it. The doctor and me both were like, hey, there's nothing else we can do. But they didn't give up, and, and she made it through that day and the next day and the next day. And somehow went home and came back very sick, terminally ill, but eventually passed. But the family brought me like a satchel and a hug, and, and it, was, it was very rewarding, you know. She got like an extra month and I don't know, I can't explain it. I was very sick myself that day. I got bit by a tick 
and had like Lyme disease. <gasps> no, I don't know. Oh, he, yeah, he had I was, spiked fever. I was very ill that day. I kept sweating through my scrubs and repeatedly. Uh-huh. There was no one to let me go home, and that was like uh, probably what six months before you actually yeah. left. Yeah. But it was very rewarding to to get that thank you because I know they saw me struggling to get through the day, and I was I didn't feel like I was on my game. I just thought you ate but, bad Mexican food. No. <laughs> Uh, but, like that. but that was rewarding to see get the apology or to, not the apology but to get the, <laughs> oh, to get the apology for saving her but oh, gosh. you know like you in the ICU you can see instant you get like instant gratification when someone lives that shouldn't and and she shouldn't have lived but yeah. that was rewarding so yeah yeah Th- those moments are always very touching sometimes they're few and far between but they they always really kind of hit close to home for me and now it's time for my favorite part of the episode. I think I say this about all the sections, but this is our seasonal section. Since tomorrow is October 31st, AKA Halloween, we're going to be talking about something spooky. Charles, do you have a good spooky story for us? Well, um, I, there was this one time when I was at work and there was this spooky story I could share, I guess. Um, Don't sound too excited. Well, you know, it was it was approaching the end of the shift, and I just really wanted to get out of there, and then it got all exciting. So it was probably more exciting than spooky, but I'm going to tell it anyways. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all had those days when we're just like, oh, the day's going to be over soon, and we're going to take it easy. Well, I had this nurse um, who left me a, a patient. He wanted to leave early. We, You know, he got lucky that day. We've all wanted to leave early. And you did not get lucky. No. You were the sucker. Yeah. I was probably trying to save my PDO or something. So um, I decided that I would take his patient. And he's like, oh, there's not much report to give. He's here for, I, let's say, chest pain or something simple. And there's there's not much to know about him. And um, that's it. You'll figure it out. Okay, bye. And that was pretty much my report. <laughs> so I'm so that, that was the scary part, your report? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, um, and he is actually a pretty experienced nurse. Um, I I think actually I, I think he told me once he was a nurse practitioner. I'm not sure though. Oh. Yeah. So I'm not sure where he is nowadays. Uh, I don't know. Maybe in Illinois or somewhere as a nurse practitioner. So, anyways, oh. yeah, I won't say his name. So, anyways, so then. Then there was a, uh, I'm sitting outside that patient's room and probably, it could have been my third patient, but I think I only had that patient and another one due to a discharge. And I look up and I see a little something funny on the monitor. And I thought, did I, did I see that? Was that a little ghost? Yeah. What was going on up there? And then I, I look at it. it. It was nothing. So it's just all in my head. I'm seeing things. So the patient's in there texting or doing whatever he's doing. And uh, I go back to my charting and I look up again and no, everything's fine. And you know, right outside his room. And then I look up again and look like a little bit of VTAC. I walk in the patient's room. You know, I'm a, I'm a good nurse, right? So I walk in there. Everything's fine, sir. Are you okay? Yeah, he's fine. Sleeping. He really is sleeping for the record. Not, not like not dead. Yeah, not like <laughs> malfunctioning, and he's in. <laughs> My airline you know, suddenly doesn't work. It's not PA. No, he, was, he was alive. Right, right. And the O2 thought is nothing. And you're like, it's just the waveform. Yeah. So I think I woke him up, maybe. So he was fine. So then I go back outside. Everything's good. A few minutes later, it starts to get a little funny. It's like, it's like VTAC. It's going fast. Stop. <laughs> Goes back to normal. So I think I called the doctor. We're in the ICU, so he's on the unit and tells me to check the electrolytes. So just as I'm going in to like draw the labs, I look up and sure enough, it's VFib. So I go in the room and uh, my old school days in EMS tell me like, you know, we used to do something if you witness an arrest called a, uh, a thump, but we don't do that anymore, right? Because that's bad. Something with RNT phenomenon. So I did do a little bit of a sternal rub. So we'll call it that. I definitely did not like thump him. For like trying to make sure you got him awake at least. Like you stimulated yeah. him. 
Right. We, of course, we said, hey, I need help. Call the code, whatever. We don't actually call the code, but people came running. And before they got in there uh, with a little bit of CPR and a sternal rub, he came back. So, so when I did see that nurse the next time, uh, it was a scary encounter we had. <laughs> letting him know I for it. Because the doctor that was covering that day wanted to know all about his patient that I had a really great report on. And I gave that doctor an amazing report because I had almost no knowledge other than he was there for, you know, chest pain or whatever. And what I had looked up in about the eight minutes of me starting to worry when he started to get funny. So, so scary was my, um, my day. Well, I think that wraps it up for the show. We hope you have a wonderful Halloween tomorrow. We really appreciate you listening to our first episode. Charles, do you have anything else to add to your spooky Charlie's Web Party? No, I, I got to get out of here and watch some Mandalorian. So. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. So. Me too. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, our first episode of Nurses in the No Show. We really appreciate you coming out and spent t- taking your time to spread your knowledge and share your journey with us, Charles. And on that note, we have a spoiler next week's episode. We talk a little bit about, we're going to be talking about COVID-19, the hot topic, as well as interviewing an infection preventionist, Luz. She'll be on episode two. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget, every Friday we drop a new episode. And if you if you want to support us, make sure to give, leave us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you could also make sure that you're following us for our updates on our socials at Nurses No Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. And let them know that the Nurses in the No Show is here. <laughs> we're not going to no show. Every Friday, <laughs> we're dropping a, an episode. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't no show. No show. Oh, oh, oh we didn't go there. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening.